Hello and welcome to this very special edition of The Book Group. My name is William Shaw and firstly, an apology. Right at the beginning of this series of podcasts, I said they were going to be regular. In my childish enthusiasm, I assumed I could knock off one of these every couple of weeks, which has proved a little bit more difficult than I'd anticipated. But I want to stick with it. And in my defence, I did have an excuse, because I had a book to finish. Uh, And that book's complete now, and it'll be out next year, and it's called River Deep. My publishers would probably also like me to say that I've got a new book out now. It came out a couple of weeks ago, um, which is called Salt Lane, and it's very good. At the beginning of the programme, I said this was going to be a very special uh, show, and it is. Um, Today's show is actually a live event. I live in Brighton, and there's a great organisation here called City Reads. And every year, they pick a book, and they try and persuade as many people in the city to read it. So I was having a chat with Sarah, who runs City Reads, um, back around, I can't remember, sometime in January or February, and, and she said she had this book coming up, and would I be interested in doing some kind of event with it? Maybe running a kind of special book group. So we thought of an idea, and anyway, we decided we're going to look around and find a kind of one-off book group. Sarah called it a bespoke book group. So welcome to the bespoke book group with some very special guests who I'm going to introduce in a minute. The book that City Reads chose this year was a book called Sacred Country by Rose Tremaine. It was written in 1992 and it's the story, among other things, of a girl called Mary. Except At the age of six, she decides she's not a girl at all. She is a he, which is a brilliant choice for Brighton, I think, because there's a significant trans community here now, significant and growing, I suspect. And one thing I've discovered that book groups are good at is bringing diverse opinions and diverse groups of people together. Anyway, so it's several months after that discussion I had with Sarah, and we're now in this place called the Regency Townhouse in Brunswick Square in Brighton, just a stone's throw away from the seaside. If you're ever in Brighton and you get a chance to look in, do, because it's one of the houses around the square which stayed sort of preserved as and looks pretty much as it was in Regency times. So here we all are gathered in this upstairs room, the imaginary book group, um, most of whom I've never seen before in my life, and about 50 members of an audience who's paid to come along and and drink some wine and listen to what we're going to say about Rose Tremaine's Sacred Country. Hello and good evening and welcome to the Regency Townhouse and welcome to this very, very special City Reads event, the Bespoke Book Group, which is an idea that William Shaw and I just cooked up on the back of William's, actually, his regular podcast. (coughs) Regular. William's got a bit of an obsession about book groups. He can tell you more about that himself. And we just got to chatting. And one of the things I think is always really interesting when we do City Reads is I'm always really interested to hear what people think about book. And we just thought, wouldn't it be good if we actually had an audience and we had some cultural thinkers? That's these lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we just thought, and meet the two together and see what happens. So The um, woman you can hear speaking now is the very wonderful Sarah Hutchins, who runs the team who produce... Brighton City Reads every year. So um, William Shaw, as I've already 
already mentioned, is a um, crime writer, a very, very good crime writer. And um, <laughs> one thing I believe. Um, but I'm going to hand over to William, and William's going to tell you a little bit more about how meetings can go. So welcome, and um, let's have a round for William Shaw. Um, thank you. So what we're going to do is, how, first of all, how many of you are actually in or have been in a book group? Could you stick up your hands? Oh, millions! <laughs> actually out, outperforming the panel. <laughs> I got, I mean, I'm a writer and I decided, I, I, I had nothing to do with book groups until, you know, in the last couple of years, people started inviting them, me to them because they're discussing the book you've written. And it suddenly became really obvious that this thing that I've been really, oh, come on, book groups, they're quite strange, aren't they? Was actually a massive, on the one hand, they're a massive cultural phenomenon. I mean, I hadn't realised how huge they are. If you compare them to, to if you think there's, there's book groups going on every night of the week, pretty much in every town. I went to Harpenden to one recently, and I met a librarian there, and she said there are 100 book groups in this town. That's Harpenden, which is, you know, I reckon, even if you take that with a pinch of salt, that's still like 50 book groups in that place. It's, it's something that's happening, like, I think it's probably one of the biggest cultural phenomena of our time, but we don't really notice it because it's an informal one. We do it in, you know, living rooms and pubs and, and uh, libraries and stuff like that. And also, to a certain extent, because a lot of the book groups are run by middle-aged women, and I think that people don't take that seriously as, uh, in the same way. So I just became fascinated by the scale of them. So I started going to them and, and sort of recording them and talking to people at them. And I discovered they, do, they really do something extraordinary. You get a group of disparate people around and you have a book and these people come together. And sometimes it's just neighbours who know each other um, from you know, the street or from the school gates or that sort of thing. But sometimes it's people who have no idea who each other are and they kind of bond over a book. And, and it, it also made me realise, and it's quite useful when you're a writer to realise this, that books do something quite, quite extraordinary. Um, for a start, they're a massive, they're a weird type of art form in this day and age, aren't they? I mean, to get through a book, you've got to devote seven or eight hours of concentrated work before you even turn up. I mean, can you imagine if you did that before you went to the theatre? That you had to do seven hours prep before you were even allowed in? Theatre stats would go straight down, but people willingly do this. And then having done that, of course, you've got this common ground before you even start. And then there's something brilliant about books as well, because there's no right answer. And that was the thing that really struck me, that you can have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, this number of people, and they can all have an opinion of the book, they can all be, different, be completely different, and nobody's actually wrong. Yeah, apart from me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to just start now by introducing this book group, because normally what happens is you get a book group, and the book group will sit around and choose a book, but it's gone slightly arse backwards this time, in that there's been a book... And in a weird way, the book's chosen a book group. So we are the result of that process. So I'm going to, Mark Radcliffe, I'm going to read biographies now, so I need my glasses. Now, I'm really paranoid I'm going to read the wrong biography. Out the wrong <laughs> a very stellar lineup of guests that City Reads have lined up for me um, are Mark A. Radcliffe, who's a novelist and short story writer and the author of Gabriel's Angel and Stranger Than Kindness. The very amazing June Miles Kingston, who formed the Medettes in 1976 and was a drummer and vocalist in Funboy 3, Everything But The Girl and The Communards. More recently, she took a filmmaking course and has become a prize-winning filmmaker, uh, but she's still a musician. Dr Craig Jordan-Baker, who's a lecturer in creative writing and a reviewer and writer. Sue Kim Steele-Green, who's an illustrator 
an artist, a filmmaker and scriptwriter. Sharon Dougal, who is the author of last year's City Reads book, The Handsworth Times, which was set against the cultural backdrop of the 1981 Handsworth riots. Uh, Sharon's working on her second novel. Heidi James, who's a poet and writer and a lecturer in English literature and creative writing, and also the author of two novels, uh, So the Doves and the Mesmerist's Daughter. Fox Fisher is an artist, filmmaker and trans rights campaigner. Uh, and with Sarah Savage, the author of the book Are You a Boy or Are You a Girl? It's a children's book in which the gender of the main character is never revealed. Uh, Fox has also just completed a documentary about being non-binary in the UK. And Fox's second book, co-written with Fox's partner Owl, is The Trans Teen's Survival Guide. Finally, uh, at the end of the desk is Michael Epi who's a freelance arts PR. Well, let's be a book group then. <laughs> Did everybody enjoy it? I'm going to start, well, let's start at the end, but let's, I mean, oh. let's do this as a book group and imagine, forget, the, forget they're here and, um, and chat away. Did you, did, did, did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it, yeah. Yes, what's not to enjoy it? Wonderful writer. This is Mark Tight, Radcliffe. Concise, beautiful, moving. I thought it petered out a bit at the end. Did you? Bit. Yeah, just a little bit. I thought, okay. <coughs> Wanted a little bit more from the ending. Maybe that's because it was so wonderfully constructed. How, how many people here have read it? Just out, how many spoilers can we give? Oh, man, that's pretty good. It's <laughs> fine. We can talk about the end. It's fine. <laughs> it turns out that pretty much everybody in the room has read the book, but I'm guessing that you as listeners may not have. Um, so just to explain, Sacred Country opens in 1952 in the small Suffolk village of Swathy. That's the year that Mary realises that there's been a mistake. She should have been a boy. And the story follows him stroke her up to 1980 as he becomes Martin. But it's as much about the cast that surrounds him. There's Walter, on the surface kind of plain-faced country bumpkin, who, like most of the people in the book, evolves into something completely different. And then... There are the people who don't change, who are kind of stuck where they are, like Mary Martin's mother, Estelle, and Mary Martin's abusive father, violently abusive father, Sonny. It's a big, eccentric cast, some of whom escape their destiny, while others don't. What did you like about it, Sharon? I liked a lot about it. This um, is the author, Sharon Dougal. I liked the fact that it was Mary Martin's story, but actually it was all the other characters' stories as well, and they were all... Um, they were all, you know, equally kind of compelling in their way. And they were all um, stories about characters, well, people that were in the wrong life somehow. So Mary Martin was in the wrong body, but also, you know, Walter was in the wrong uh, job, in the wrong yeah. village, yeah. in the wrong, Country. you know, Country. kind of, mm. play, in the wrong, yeah. Um, and similarly, you know, Estelle, all the characters were somehow found themselves in the wrong place for whatever reason and um, what I liked about it is that some of them managed to reinvent themselves in some way and I thought there was a lot about invention and reinvention and I think Mary Martin kind of keeps referring to a book of invention mm. which I only sort of thought about at the end you oh. know and they have all or a lot of the younger ones at least have managed to find their way to reinvent themselves to so that date everything started as well mm. yeah and so as and also the fact that it's kind of spanned such a huge time period and over that time period you saw the 
the village kind of become more modern. Just to prove we're in and Brighton and close to the beach, in the background, those are seagulls. They to reinvent themselves as the world became more modern, but some of the older characters were still stuck there. In yeah. the it's sort of that period when Britain's yeah. reinventing itself too. Yeah. Heidi James. So sort of so- British society or English society is the sort of larger ex- sort of external character that sort of haunts... Yeah. yeah, we're looking yeah, at we're, these small, these, you know, very human characters, but actually society itself is what's under yeah. examination, I think, in the novel. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's, it's very brave when you think it was written in 1992, you know, it was still, Section 28 was still yeah. kind of, yeah. you know... Around. Section 28, a particularly odious piece of 1980s legislation that effectively banned anybody from discussing homosexuality in schools. John Major was yeah. Prime Minister. Yeah. You know, it's that, a long time ago. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So it's very, you know, it's brave. I I grew up as a queer person in a rural community. This is Michael Eppie. Uh, And actually I felt the, the, all of the stories of people being othered for being different. So Estelle's othered for her mental health. Uh, Martin's othered for their gender identity. I just feel that it would have been really good for me to read in 1992. Did you think that was an act, I mean like, it's a hellish village, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, the British tradition is to present villages as so beautiful, mm. beautiful yeah. places of resolution and rest. And actually, I thought it was quite a really truthful yeah. mm. depiction of village life. I kept thinking, I was getting really annoyed. Writer Heidi that, James. Uh, I know it's written in 1992, so I'd like to ask Rose Tremaine, would you have written the headings for Martin section as Martin, not exactly. Mary. It was really irritating me. Do you think, because you're saying Martin, I can think it's yeah. Martin, it's Martin. I understand the other characters yeah, yeah. thinking of Martin as Mary, but he, you know, right back into this section when Martin is living as Martin. It's really irritating me. It really, really bothers me as a trans person. Yeah. 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 There's a definite transition, transition yeah. from Mary And yet to the Martin. heading doesn't... Yeah. Activist and author Fox Fisher. Uh, that, that's definitely something that I would like to ask Rose about. You know, I wonder if she could do it differently now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. just with a bit more knowledge, perhaps. But yeah. I felt like she was writing from you know the character of Martin was for me. For it, they felt very very real, and they mm-hmm. you know especially uh, set back in that time. I, I've been chatting to a lot of older trans people who tell me stories back in the day, and. You know, things were really, really tricky like this, and, and worse, you know, a lot worse, actually. Um, yeah, I've got a poem to read later from, a, from an, a, an older trans person who uh, was, was around, around the same time, actually, and uh, they're, they're still really suffering from what, what they experienced back in the day. But yeah, term, you know, I just can't believe with the pronouns that, it, that, right. that would still carry on. And I was actually, it was, it was kind of confusing in a way as well. Mm. I was like, who are they referring to? What's going on? So, um, yeah, that's something I'd, I'd like to get clarification But then most of the characters in that earlier part and all through the book still referred to her as Mary. June Miles yeah. Kingston. So I then. thought it was a deliberate thing. The the pronoun represents the world. But for the the author who's kind of, you know, the Mm all-seeing eye that's taking people around, I don't think that's necessary for for that. Even as a stylistic choice, as an experiment, like I understand as part of the characters, absolutely, (laughs) Mary, but as as the author, it would be interesting, I would have thought, so it's not even about politics then, becomes a stylistic choice to... With that transition. Yeah, to also... Yeah, on the headings, anyway. Yeah. But I suppose, that, I mean, I, I, I want to hear lots from you, Fox, about that, because, I mean, I suppose, for me, thinking of it as a face of the imagination for her at the time, mm. which I think a lot of, you know, there she is, 
you know, as, as far as I know, she's a heterosexual woman with kids, the author entering that world. Did you find that an interesting leap of imagination? That Absolutely. She could go there? I mean, I, I really think she did really well with that, and I would love to talk to her personally yeah, about, yeah, yeah. about whether she interviewed people or whether she was she was drawing upon some some personal experiences or, or you know, I don't know what, but yeah, it, she she really did, did seem to capture the the personality of Martin very very well and the the issues that Martin was going through in in a beautiful poetic kind of way um, that made me feel really. Um, validated, you know, yeah. and, and um, I would forget occasionally that the author wasn't trans, but you know, it does make a difference. It does, you know, especially when there's such, um, th there's not enough representation out there for mm. trans people. And trans, obviously, the trans community is, you know, widely, uh, it's very vast and ranging from age to class to, you know, every single type of different type of person they could be, they can also be trans. And, and it, with such a large group, um, sometimes people can get very upset if they don't see themselves represented yeah. out there. And, uh, you know, for me, as, as a, a trans-masculine person, um, I'm, I'm very, I feel lucky to have grown up a bit later than, than Martin, mm -hmm. and I feel very grateful for that. But, you know, when I was growing up, there also was, was very little understanding about trans issues, particularly for trans-masculine people as well. I think I was aware of one trans woman who used to cut my dad's hair. Um, and other than that, I just didn't know it was possible. So. Um, books like this, I can't believe this was written in 1992. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, yeah. back to 1992, it does feel like another world. She, she was my tutor two years later. Mark Radcliffe. And I remember she did a little talk about this. Yeah. And she talked about it as, as a writer. And, she, uh, and it was really interesting because she, talked, she did try to interview people. Right. And she said that, that what she experienced was helpfulness, but also a reluctance from some people. It didn't feel okay. It didn't feel safe mm -hmm. psychologically or whatever, they yeah. didn't know what this information was going to become, yeah. what this act of sharing was going to become. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. But she also talked, therefore, about the responsibility of imagination. So if she's going to lend something imaginative to it, then she felt something like a, a, a responsibility to a community that she wasn't part of, that mm -hmm. she, she had a respect for and an inquiry around, but, and didn't feel able to, she wasn't going to represent, she wasn't going to be a journalist. Sure. So there was a, there's a responsibility to imagination. Yeah. And I, th I thought that there was something tonally about the book that carries that because she manages to do something which I think is really difficult. She makes sometimes unsympathetic characters sympathetic. Yeah. We, we're interested in people who actually might not be all that nice or do things which are not. Totally. And we stay with them. We stay yeah. with them in sympathy. I felt the respect that she had for, for mm. Martin, for sure. And we, we were just talking about this as well, weren't we? Mm. Yeah. You were discussing the book before. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, we, we were saying that, uh, yeah, she, what, what were we saying? Well, we were bringing up the, it's a bit tired now, sorry, the Lionel Shriver. <gasps> Uh, you know, oh, authors can write about anything, nonsense cultural. to cultural appropriation, yeah. and we were saying actually it's a bit more nuanced than that. And um, is this borrowing? Is, is yeah. this borrowing? And you know, is was, that okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. And I think I think it is because it's important to have representation, but um, the fact that she isn't a trans person would always factor in, I suppose. Mm. I wonder if she took over the book. Sorry, you're right to say something. Because I, well, I think in some ways you're right. I think she start purely guessing, but I think Mary might have written herself. Mary Martin might have written herself onto the page in a curious way because it was a book about people who are trying to be completely different. Because there's a cast of them, but then 
Mary Martin just completely takes over. Sorry. Well, I, I think the issue, or the theme of imagination, I think is, um, or you might even say possibility, is, is an important one. And I think the book's great success is that it, um, it, it takes a lot of particulars and tries to move them into something general. So often we can't speak about general large issues, and we can only often speak about them through the particulars. Yeah. But there's a unity in understanding those particulars over the covering of the general. And I think the general issue here is what you might call possibility. And I don't mean possibility in the sense of, I might, I, I might win the lottery, or it might or it's possible that Donald Trump is a stable genius. I mean, I, I, I mean the kind of possibility in the in that all the characters feel that they have a future to step into, and um, and that they can imagine. This is Craig Jordan Baker talking. Hammer really home at the very end when Estelle, I sort of, um, in her mind, apologises to Martin for being a woman without any imagination. Mm. And there's a sense of a kind of a stalling in her and Sonny, I think, actually, and a kind of a rut, and their lives are a kind of rut where, where the, the novel itself is resplendent with characters whose lives are desperately not trying to be a rut, that are trying to step into the future in some way. And so there's a real, in terms of the, uh, sort of, you might say, the tectonics of the work in the, on the larger scale, there's a real kind of balance there about the kind of unity and diversity. And I, I thought that was the real success of the work. Mm. Sue Kim, I've yeah. not even turned to you yet. What yeah, do you I'm just sitting there thinking. Um, down whilst reading yeah, yeah. I, I definitely went up and down I do agree with you I felt each character was immensely lonely isolated in their little world and I, I was born in 64 and remember bits of England bits mm -hmm. of rural England like that in their little pockets and I, I did feel an overwhelming sense of loneliness I suppose it was the time where you had to repress things if you wanted to be another gender or you wanted to be in another world. This awful repression, mm. it, it was very heavy for me, yeah. that. Yeah. I also agree with you, it did peter out again at the end. It, it didn't, it, he, it, he just sort of accepted it. Well, you know, I'll just carry my scarf forever. It's fine, I'm in another mm. world, I'm away. And I don't know if that was the result of Sonny dying, that that, that, was, that, that was the thing. Maybe the thing wasn't to be another gender, but to be free from this awful monster that had plagued him all his life. And he may be now, he was finally allowed to evolve mm -hmm. and become himself, not just a man, but himself, his character, his spirit. But I wanted that to happen, but I kind of felt cut off. It was very weird that Estelle has the last voice in the book, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think she was the strongest voice in the whole June Miles Kingston. Yeah. Yeah. Quite watching. Yeah, definitely. Well, just only kind of weird things that she came out with were the things that made you laugh. It was quite interesting to just listen to you talk about how you thought it petered out towards the end. I actually thought it ended as Martin was ready to be Martin as a mm. full human being. Is it, I had one bit marked in the book, and it's like, uh, why couldn't I? Why couldn't I have just accepted being Mary Ward? The answers are because it wasn't, because I couldn't, because I am not Mary Ward, and no one, not Harker, not Stearns, not I, can explain it any better than that. Yeah. And it feels like the book really just ended when Martin was Martin Ward. I, I, I didn't. I thought the ending was great. Yeah. Yeah, I really I like how it ended. I do. But I can see it could be frustrating. It was quite a weird yeah. place. I read some reviews on, on Goodreads and stuff, which is obviously, you know, never do it if you own it. Um, and loads of people said, oh gosh, it's really bleak. And I thought, what? Hey, can we put, okay, I think actually, what, I'm not gonna be so rude. 
A book, the way we read it, reveals more about us than it does about the writer, obviously. So for me, I think it was bleak. I thought it was wonderful. I thought people reached a point of acceptance. And anyone that wants more from life, I'm here to tell you, you're not really going to get it. So there is no paradise. This isn't the Divine Comedy. There isn't anything waiting. It's, gonna, it's not a fairy tale. It's not Disney. I thought this was actually quite lovely. Most of the characters find something, and it's possibly without... I don't think it is dreary at all. Isn't it lovely to be accepted? be liked, to be wanted, and Martin is. And he didn't always have acceptance though, I mean, No, but by the end, yeah. I'm talking about the ending, by Generally. the ending there feels like yeah. there's or at least Martin is accepting itself, which, which is the most, you know, that's a lovely thing actually. And I think also like, we all suffer damage yeah. growing up, becoming mm -hmm. adults, moving in our lives. And that damage is, makes us who we are. Yeah. Would you change that damage? Well, maybe on a, on a really bad day, yes, I'd like an easier life, but it makes you who you are. Mm. Yeah. One thing I didn't, just to be controversial, <laughs> oh, it's, uh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't think that the Pearl Martin love yeah. thing oh, really? rang that true. No, there wasn't enough about Pearl was a bit yeah, of a, I didn't. Yeah. She just wasn't strong no, enough as no, a character, no, I think. No, no. But, you know, it, it was kind of not 60 on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, yeah. <laughs> and it felt like just a device yeah. for yeah. her to yeah. then... Um, Exercise that thing. Yeah, yeah. Against yeah. Your brother. And then the brother, yeah. yeah. Oh, you've, you've just ruined the book for me. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was also that I didn't get the grandma who. I, I missed the, the point about the grandma flying the planes. My favourite was Walter. I love the yodeling. Yeah. 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 And I, I have to, I love, I did love this book. I love how you just, it widens the world. You have a polyvalent, multi-voiced. But I'm with you, there isn't enough sh gear changes between the characters. Mm. When so there's first person to third, and I think sh this, that's beautifully done. It leads beautifully. But in the first person, there isn't enough gear change. So you don't hear the voices. Yeah. You, know, mm. you know, a really great stylist you think, wow, I'm hearing them. This is a very different shift of grammar and vernacular, and, and there there aren't. So the author is present. I mean, exactly. What, I yeah, do know what you yeah, mean. I do yeah. see. I, I can feel that. I really love this book in bit in book groups. Having listened to it a bit, where everybody says it's fantastic, it looks great. They say, and then they suddenly turn. <laughs> <on it. laughs> but I would say, because like the thing that bugs me about the book is that she's clearly brilliant at invention. I think the thing that I enjoyed about her writing unbelievably is this continual invention and then the book becomes about invention and reinvention yeah. and sometimes I wish she'd stop bloody inventing. When, <laughs> when uh, what's his name, Loomis, um, the Ernie Loomis chops his fingers off and dies, I was thinking, oh for God's yeah. sake, this yeah. is getting yeah, so, so like something nasty in the woodshed by this point, you know, it's like, and it's just like, you didn't need that, because there's quite a lot of brutality, sort of casual is. brutality, but yeah. I think that's just one step too far, she just couldn't stop doing that scene, you kind of get that sense of sort of churning this, you know, it's a great Google, can you die from having your fingers Yeah, I was thinking, that's quite hard. Can you? Really? Can you? Yeah, you can't exsanguinate. But it's quite slow. Yeah, And you could start grabbing and go, oh, hell! Didn't he pass out from shock? Yeah, he was thinking, he's thinking, after several paragraphs. Yeah, there's a bit of it, like, would you not be like, 
anyway. I think there was, uh, yeah, there was actually quite a lot of brutal scenes in it. I think I really struggled with the dentist scene, just the mm. description was that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the dad, oh. Yeah, yeah the dad, does. that was acting grim yeah. and stout. Yeah, I felt sorry for Sonny as well. Yeah, uh, he was stressed. He was having post-traumatic. Yeah, he was. Thing. I mean, he, yeah. he he obviously had you know mental health yeah. issues as well as Estelle, but he's you know. I think I would have liked to have known a bit more about him. You know about. Well, she did. She did go into that right at the end, didn't she? Mm. Yeah. A couple of pages. Yeah. Kind of. Oh, by the way, this is why he's like this. He wasn't very <laughs> forgiven, though, was he? No, no. Very that's all right. Yeah. Got no, 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 you've got yeah. baddies, of course. There were a lot of characters, actually. Yeah, there were a lot. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. For me, Sonny was one of those ones that he just felt like, you know, rented bad dad. <laughs> we can keep this up for some time and actually do keep it up for some time. I and mean, we carry on talking for about another 40 minutes, I think, and the audience join in, and it's, it's very convivial, really. And I, it kind of proves the point that a group of people who I've never really met before can bond over a book and at the very least can have a lot of fun doing so. I'm a bit anxious I'm accidentally going to the rent about dad shop now. <laughs> 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 I'm, still, I'm still struggling with the Pearl as a thin character, because you're absolutely right, she has one of the scenes for me which really got me when Pearl Lean, is that Martin is, is transitioning from Mary, and she feels a real sense of loss. And I actually think that was a really, that was quite a prescient bit of expression, because yeah. I think that's one of the things that happens in that situation. And I thought, so I really liked yeah. her for that, but it's actually, you realise, actually, you're right, her, her, the rest of her character is actually quite thin. I felt really bad about the, that situation, that kind of episode, where Martin ends up kind of forcing himself on, on Pearl. Yeah. And it didn't sit well for me. It just, it mm. felt, you know, obviously it was one of those situations where things get out of hand, and they've had feelings for Pearl for a long time, and... You know, but I sound like a rape apologist by saying that. You know, it's just I don't I want know. to be that person. And, yeah. You know, I think Martin must feel well. That I'm sure they had a lot of regrets about that. And yeah, it was just it so it was a really interesting yeah. experience forming this bespoke book group. But I guess we bonded so well that some of it is probably not really that fantastic um, podcast material. I mean, you you kind of had to be there. Uh, and I, I wish you had been, really. It, it was a great evening. So I'll just cut towards the end. Well, I, I, um, I think we should um, probably sort of, you know, slow this bit down, maybe talk a bit amongst ourselves, sort of move around the room a bit more talking rather than, and actually sort of end the bit of, of formally sitting like we're in an interview panel. <laughs> I do think it was a brilliant choice for City Reads. I think it's been, yeah. I loved reading it. And actually for me, I think it would go high, I think it would go into my top five this year actually myself. Because I you also go to some book groups that they insist on marking books. Ooh. That's cruel, isn't it? Yeah. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to. But I, I was, I, I, her, I, I loved yeah. having a, having an excuse to have to read it. If you know. Yeah, I, mean. yeah, I agree. And it's a brilliant, a it's great, a brilliant choice yeah. for. It's a great for thing writing. about book groups is that you're forced to read exactly. things that yeah. you just would never yeah, yeah, read otherwise. But before we go, Fox Fisher has one last thing for us. He's brought along a poem that he wants to read before we leave. Yeah, please do. That'd be brilliant. Uh, so this uh, trans guy was born in the, uh, I think he's born in 1947, and uh, he's in his uh, early 70s now. Um, and when he was 14 years old, he was um, 
against his will, he was put into a mental hospital, so he went to go see his granddad because his mum had just died. And uh, he said, oh, I, I really feel like a boy. Um, I don't know what to do about that. And his granddad really wanted him out of the way, actually, and just checked himself into a, a mental hospital and left him there for two years. Um, and, to, and he checked himself out when he was 16. He realised that he could actually do that. And nobody visited him at the hospital, and, and he endured quite a lot. So this is... Um, it was, it's, it's terrible. He's had a terrible life, but um, he's, he's an incredible person and uh, really um, such an inspiration. He's so happy about how things are now as well. He's been able to, you know, he's, he's one of the survivors and, uh, and he's so thrilled that things are so different for trans people uh, today. Um, so the poem's called Walk This Way, which always makes me think of the aerospace. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can only be this and I cannot be that. It's just the way I am. I can only think thoughts that are only me. For me, for it's me and all that I am. You can lock me up after wiring my head and say words that I don't understand. You can strip off my clothes, but I don't care, for I'm me and all that I am. It's no big deal to call me names and drug me because you can, for I know one day I'll leave this place to be me and all that I am. And when the time comes, when I leave this world, I will leave it as a man. I will close my eyes, knowing in the end, I was me and all that I am. Well, as you probably gathered, that was a great deal of fun. And thank you so much to my very, very clever book group colleagues, very entertaining and clever book group colleagues, Fox Fisher, Mark Radcliffe, Michael Eppie, June Miles Kingston, Craig Jordan-Baker, Sue Kim Steele-Green, Sharon Dougal and Heidi James. And the biggest thanks of all go to Brighton City Reads for setting this whole event up to the very wonderful Sarah Hutchings and Hill Cook. Um, there will be another podcast. Stick with it. Um, it may not be regular, but it'll be there. <laughs>